When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, all right. Yes, football. It is not coming home. We have also got quite the iconic football victory elsewhere on today's second of the quarterfinal days. And really, what a what a what a brilliant day of the neutral we have had in terms of World Cup football. Regardless, we have got France through, we have got Morocco through, and the propensity for any hellacious semi-final. Let's get stuck straight in. So here we are, yes, the second day of the quarterfinals. And if you've not listened to us yet, yes, we are over there. 6am, Patreon, World Cup Great Games podcast from the history of the annals of World Cup fantastic games of years gone by. Yes, we are over there. We're also here, as always, Sports Social Podcast Network, anywhere where you get your podcasts, and YouTube, yes, that is YouTube, with this podcast, the World Cup Daily Podcast, right through to the final. Unfortunately, here we are, and obviously you'll know by now, if you don't know now, now you know. The uh, the result of France versus England, regardless. Anyway, we are on YouTube with predictors, combined 11s, 
as if it needs really saying on youtube shorts we are also there with what if football videos alternate football universes if you want to go there if you don't want to live in this universe i don't want to live in this universe but here we are i'm sure there's some 2022 world cup universes right there for you at least in a couple of months' time, anyway. What if Harry Kane scored that penalty? Well, 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 we won't answer that for you today, but we'll bitch and moan about it in the meantime. So, France versus England. The main question was, killing Mbappe, Kyle Walker, could they both deal with it? Could they both deal with the pressure, really? Um, and really, it wasn't so much a battle, really, because killing Mbappe, what he tended to do was move centrally, almost create a two up front with Olivier Giroud, almost as if he was scared. Was he scared? Well, to be fair, he probably wasn't scared because he ended up winning, didn't he? But, but to be fair, the way France panned it out. It was more of a 4-3-1-2. Obviously, the one, in my opinion, killing Mbappe didn't get much of a sniff. The sniff, it doesn't really particularly matter now. Um, but the one certainly did for France. And really, the one that changed the entire game, changed the entire... Well, changed the entire spirit of the game was Antoine Griezmann. And he was the one, he was the one who delivered that beautiful ball in for the second French goal. And that's what happens when you focus too much, I guess, on killing Mbappe, focus too much on perhaps he may play Olivier Giroud, and then you leave the game up to Antoine Griezmann. In my opinion, that is entirely how the game was played in terms of France going forward. Was it entirely the way that the entire game was played, England versus France? I'm not entirely sure. I don't think... I don't think that France had the better of the game. I don't think, really, that France were met toe-to-toe. -to -toe. England, in my opinion, in my national biases, maybe, were the better team, which, if we're going to go through... Eliminations, if we're going to go through quarterfinal defeats, is it better? We don't know just yet. In terms of England, well, the question was, would they impose themselves? Would they play 3-4-3? Would they play 4-3-3? Well, England were unchanged, just as France were unchanged. Would they impose themselves? That was the major question. Would they finally go attacking? And yes, they would. They would go attacking. Jude Bellingham as the midfield fulcrum again and again and again went forward as uh, John Henson did. Who, uh, Bukayo Saka, Saka did as well. In the first half, I wasn't entirely impressed with him. Second half, he was phenomenal, which uh, goes to show you just uh, keep faith. And, uh, well, Saka was phenomenal. He he won the he won the penalty for the first penalty at least. And um yes, when he fought when you thought he was wavering, I certainly thought he was wavering at least in the first half. 
He came back to the fore and he was brilliant in the second half. Drew Bellingham, I felt, was England's best player again. And um, you probably can copy and paste this. Control C, Control V for the rest of his England career. For the rest of the you know the next 10, 12 years, really. Um, in any tournament, non-tournament or tournament, it doesn't particularly matter with him. He will be the best player in an England shirt, he was tonight, in my opinion. Um, in in to be fair with England, they played it to a T. They played it as you would expect. They chose when to press early. They robbed the ball pretty high up in the first half, and they were playing the football that you would say would impose themselves on France. And really. They made the the French defence look very, very, very nervous. They pulled them this way and that. Yes, I will admit fully, they didn't particularly have too many chances, at least not in the first half. Second half, certainly, Harry Kane had a, had a good effort that, um, that hit uh, Lloris square. It deflected, fair enough, yes. Um, it was a decent enough chance. And England, really, in terms of the first half, into well, in terms of most of the game, yes, I think, yes, France obviously won the game. Olivier Giroud with a header. When you forget about Mbappe, you, you, you better not forget about Olivier Giroud. And he snuck in with a header. Yes, fair enough. That is where the game was won. Um, that is two of the three chances that France had. They took, and that is how you get to the levels that France have have reached, really, winning the World Cup in 2018. And, uh, well, it seems getting to the World Cup final in 2022, but that remains to be seen. And in a Morocco team, yes, we'll talk about them later, when I'm much more sober and three years in the past, I'm sure you'll be able to identify. But there we are. So England, I feel though, yes, national biases aside, I feel as though England bettered France in a million miles. Yes, England scored the goal via a penalty, which was a blatant penalty. Yes, you can also lurch into the conspiracy theories about Aurelien Chouameni's goal. Should it have been allowed? Shouldn't it have been allowed? I would much rather focus on the fact that France's counter-attack was pinpoint. It was accurate. The fact that Ben, um, not Benzema, certainly not Benzema. The fact that Antoine Griezmann was able to find that room and so perfectly lay it off to Chouameni was the fact that France scored rather than the fact that um, France were given the goal thanks to a mistake by the referee Yes, it probably was a foul. It, yeah, it almost certainly was a foul, but England had two or three chances to clear that ball, and I'm on the side of, yes, they probably should have cleared it, rather than the fact that it was a foul. And to be fair, Harry Kane should have had a penalty against Diopa Meccano. Yes, that should have happened, and... To be fair, England got back into the game via a penalty spot. And yes, England, maybe, maybe they probably didn't have the best of the chances from open play. But the way that they had the French defence 
scared, bamboozled at times. It's almost as if when, of course, Harry Kane strode up to the spot for that second penalty kick, that it was almost deserved in a way. And in a weird sort of way, when it doesn't come to penalties, it does come to penalties. And Harry Kane strode up. Of course, we must remember there are mind games going through Harry Kane's head, going through Hugo Lloris's head, both, of course, of Tottenham Hotspur. And the added weight, maybe, it doesn't add too much weight, but the added weight for Harry Kane, it equaled the England goal-scoring record with that first penalty. The fact that he could break that England goal-scoring record with the second penalty, the fact that he could draw England level with the second penalty as well. Unfortunately, he blazed it high and wide in a manner he hadn't done ever before in an England shirt. Almost caught between two minds. Should he place it down the middle as he had done with Colombia? Should he place it to high on the left as he had done with many other penalties as which is his preferred penalty. In my opinion, I don't wish to go down that avenue. It's a missed penalty and Harry Kane was on it. He should be on it. Penalties should not be analysed to a certain extent because there are extenuating circumstances outside of practice. So you've got Harry Kane versus Hugo Lloris teammates as well. You've got the fact of the England goal-scoring record. You've also got the fact of seven minutes to go. Score this. England are back into the game. There's also innumerable pressure. But the fact remains that, well, to put it bluntly, England were the better team. And does that rank with the fact that... England have were supposed to be on this trajectory semi-finals, final winners they are not on that trajectory anymore semi-final, finals quarter-finalists but, and I'm sure you'll agree if you've watched all three of the games of as painstakingly as you as, as what you perhaps should have done with me England, this is probably the best they have performed in those three eliminations. Against Croatia, they scored early, sat back, were made to pay by that midfield. Italy, they scored early, were made to pay from set pieces and then via the penalty spot. France, France score relatively early. England come back into the game. They perform, in my opinion, the better of the two teams for the next 60 minutes or so. They score the goal. They are unfortunate in conceding the second goal, which for me is 66% of France's chances. They, they concede off two of those. So that is by the by. And then, well... There's a free kick involved with Rashford that is so close to going in. He's so close to going in. We, we are all willing to go in 
And then there is, of course, the Harry Kane penalty, which misses. And you are not rewarded in this World Cup game with winning a game on points. You are rewarded with taking your chances. And taking your chances, well, we will go. I'm sure to the next game in a minute. But I will have one word for this. I'm recording this after any any news could leak out. Gareth Southgate, his contract runs out in the year of 2024. Gareth Southgate should, in my opinion, remain. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Because what did we have before? We had Iceland last 16. Failure. Complete failure. Complete failure. And failures that we've had since, they've been easy to explain away. Croatia in 2018. That can be explained away by the fact that we were coming up against supremely experienced opposition. 2020, that's a penalty shootout. 2021, 2022, as we are here today. Well, we were the better team, in my opinion. That's England were the better team. And, well, they just beat us. And that's sometimes how life goes. After the short break, the next game. Let's get stuck straight in. Welcome back to today's show. Recording this before the main event of England versus France. So forgive me if there's ever so slightly a tinge of nervousness the way I'm speaking about this match. Morocco versus Portugal and in a way deserves top billing all on its own, really. History was made at the Alpha Mama Stadium, but more on that as we move through. For Morocco, there was two defensive changes forced upon them. Nasser Mazraoui was out, Aguerd was out too, and really the surprise was that Roman Saiz was able to lumber through that hamstring injury, which seemed to have ended his tournament against Spain, but he limped on through for 60 minutes, and again, 
hero for his uh, for his nation there. In terms of Portugal, well, they didn't go as attacking as a return to a four four two or even a four two four. Well, in in principle, anyway, in, in terms of the the practice, it, it almost certainly was very attacking. It had to be really considering the way the match was going to go. And we had Ruben Neves in for William Carvalho. No deep line number six, really, at least not as a destroyer. Ruben Neves did play a deep line number six, but it was more so into uh, a playmaking role. He would drop in to defence in between Diaz and Pepe in the build-up. And really, he's got some experience at Wolves playing centre-half anyway. And then with a, a solid build-up back three, you've got the whip provided by Rafael Guerrero and Diogo Dallo, who need really no excuses in their club lives, in their international lives too, to bomb on forward. And from very early on, the tone was set there with what was ostensibly a 3-1. Well, it was Yeah, it was something anyway. Morocco, the questions around them was essentially, could they be as defensively astute as they have been the entire tournament? Wahid Regragi, he's um, conceded just the one goal and still not conceded at the hands of opposition yet. <laughs> it's all completely ridiculous, really. Even from if this was not Morocco, and no offence, Morocco, if this was a top-tier team, say if this was, I don't know, Italy, or maybe not Italy because they're, they're traditionally known as defensive, but like, say, England, maybe, to, to not concede at the hands of an opposition all tournament and for well before that as well is uh, quite fantastic. And they were set up as you would expect in a mid-block, in a 4-1-4-1. Sophie and Amrabat, the beating heart of the of the midfield there. You've got Unahi and Alamala as well as the number eights who, whilst Amrabat has been sweeping up all the praise, Unahi and Amala have been... Yeah, stunning as well as the uh, workhorse number eights and they just work together. Sofian Bufal, Hakim Ziyech bleeds quite nicely with the uh, the three in the midfield. And of course, Yusuf Enesiri as well at the back. The, obviously, the, the, they were going to take a little bit of a hit thanks to uh, the, def the defence right across the bar, a big name defence as well. Let's so here, of course, but Etiats Aller on the left-hand side for Morocco at left-back was getting forward just as much as Nusam Masrawi would do and the defence didn't look any more wobblier than uh, it was. Like, it, it, you wouldn't believe that they'd taken two of their prized assets out of the team is what I'm trying to say there. And Mor Morocco were just as defensively brilliant as they were against Spain, just as they were against Croatia, just as they were against Belgium. And if you were to pick two semi-finalists out of a group before this World Cup, would you have selected Group F? Perhaps you would have, but you would have selected probably Belgium and Croatia, certainly not Morocco. And of course, with, with the way Morocco was sat, with the way... Portugal were playing, it allowed the likes of Bruno Fernandes, João Felix and Bernardo Silva to all come centrally, which really, in my opinion, played into Morocco's hands. Everything was congested centrally. Maybe there was, there was no real overloads to be had by Croatia out wide. It would have been probably more prescient for Portugal to... Stick Bruno Fernandes wide on the right alongside Dallo. Stick João Felix wide on the left, you know, with um, with Rafael Guerrero, and sort of make make the uh, the wingers track back more, pull the central defenders ever so slightly wider, and because Gonzalo Ramos was completely absent throughout, Cristiano Ronaldo had one shot 
uh, when he came on, and that was the the long and short of that. And really, the only one that was truly created for Portugal was probably Bruno Fernandes. But every shot that that Portugal had that wasn't from a set piece came from distance and were merely pot shots, of course. And Morocco, they did come to play a little bit in the second half. Portugal had to throw even more bodies at them, and Morocco always looked dangerous in the uh, the second part of the first half, throughout the second half as well. They had numerous breakaways. Chidera, of course, who squandered a number of chances against Spain in the extra time. He squandered another one here, and uh, I think it was Unahi as well. He tried to chip Diogo Costa. <laughs> When the game, it was to kill the game off and he just chipped him, but he stood tall. Um, yeah, what an incredible, uh, an incredible game. It was really, it went to type. It went exactly how you knew it would do. And Morocco stole the game. The goal came in from across from the left-hand side. And Nasiri jumping like Cristiano Ronaldo, hung in the air. A good 10 foot, 10, 12 foot. It was Amazing, really. And well, you, you can take some gloss out of it by saying that Diogo Costa should have never come for that in a million years. Yes, he, it was high, and you weren't expecting him to jump that that high. The, the attacker to um, get his head on the ball, but still, you don't come for that. Really, <laughs> if he'd have stayed on the line and mopped it up, quite simply. But again. Great header, you've got to say great header, great leap as well. And then the game was alive, fairly turgid, just how Morocco really would have wanted it to you know, drill drill Portugal underneath the service, make them play like Spain, make them play static, slow-tempo football, which they were doing for the first 40 minutes. And then Bruno Fernandes, Marco Van Basten-esque volley, hits the bar. And then you've got Atiat Aller on the on the, um, on the the counter-attack. He, he was really a left-back's finish, and I know being a former left-back at junior level, <laughs> that's something I would have done. Really, except I'm right-footed, so I'd have probably taken it and curled it first time in the bottom corner, obviously, or, or shanked it horrifically wide, which is what uh, Tia Ayat Ala did um, there. And really, Portugal, they weren't able to continue their Ronaldo-less form. You're expecting uh, Gonzalo Ramos to be a bit more dynamic. And really, Morocco, what they do to opponents, they sit deep, they grind them down. I have, I have, have a half-baked theory that these sorts of displays... A lot of people have been whispering Greece 2004, and yes, you've got to agree they've been, I think, the extremes of Greece 2004, really, and it's quite fitting that Portugal have been beaten in a crucial game here when you're uh, comparing them to Greece. But it, it could really, these sorts of performances, look back to a, uh, to a, a long-forgotten time nearly 20 years ago now when football went ultra-defensive and everything was um, counter-attacks, you know, like so Jose Mourinho, Rafael Benitez. And of course, it was launched off the back of teams like Porto, like Greece in 2004, which is why you get the World Cups in 2006 and 2010 having these ridiculously low, low goal averages, even lower, I think, than uh, than Italian 9. If not, then certainly around the same the same levels. So this this could, and it is a, it's a huge milestone in the history of football, African football, of course, Arabic football, of course, as well. This is the first African nation to reach a World Cup semi-final, the first of um, the fourth uh, African quarter-finalist and the first not to go to extra time, although it was getting a little bit ropey um, towards the end of the game, as you would expect, really. 
And my voice is a little bit hoarse. Part cold, part cheering on the Atlas Lions, really. Um, they were a threat, to be fair. Portugal from set pieces, very, very rarely out. So it was usually from outside the box. Bruno Fernandes had a great chance, but uh, inches off the uh, off the woodwork, really. And Spain only had one shot on target in 120 minutes. Portugal looked from the first few minutes anyway that they were going to threaten a lot more. But João Felix's header on target on the fifth minute wasn't really added to until well after the hour mark, well after the hour mark. And um, they did look a little bit more dynamic in Spain. They were willing to change things up a little bit. They would perform long balls, diagonals into the flanks. It's just that Morocco sort of ground down the tempo and stopped them from doing that. And Portugal weren't, weren't about to do that. The Morocco well covered in wide areas, which is why I thought that the, the triumvirate of uh, Felix, Bernardo and Bruno would go go out to the flanks and try almost horseshoe it as we see plenty of teams do, Arsenal done in plenty of times, international teams, it seems to be a default, really. Look for the overloads and then maybe maybe a bit of brilliance. And They were missing, really, a ball-carrying centre-back as well, I believe. Portugal, really. Too often in the first half and numerous parts in the second half did uh, Portugal get restricted to slow, plodding possession football. They did look a bit more cutting and incisive when they went long and wide. I think this was probably more a game for a Rafael Liao to run at defenders. And if, say, like I said, I'm recording this before England versus France, I tend to think that they've got the better chance against Morocco because you've got a killing Mbappe, you've got a Phil Foden, you've got a Bukayo Saka, Ousmane Dembele, all, and, and obviously all the bench options that come with that Kingsley Coman, Marcus Rashford, etc., that can run at the wide players. England are, are better out wide and of course you've got Mbappe for France who can come why can be central as well so it will be a completely different task I believe for Morocco in the semi-final but you've got to say semi-final beyond Morocco's wildest dreams are the first African nation to uh, avoid defeat at the World Cup the first African nation to get out of the groups so in a funny sort of way we all believed it could be Nigeria could be Senegal from time to time could be Ghana of course Cameroon of course in the 90s and the 2000s had an incredible team Ivory Coast had a great team as well we all believe they might be the ones to end this quarter-final uh, barrier, but it may, it kind of does make sense in a in a in a world full of first Morocco have always been there. Maybe apart from the uh, the first win at a World Cup for an African nation, which uh, is bestowed to Tunisia in 1978, it makes sense that Morocco could get to the semi-finals. And if you look at the team, you look at the setup, you look at the way they play tournament football. Is it much of a shock? I don't think it is really. Spain played right into the hands. Portugal. Probably had a better chance than Spain, but it, it, it just wasn't wasn't to be. Um, what Morocco will prey on is a high-possession team without a proper superstar who can change things on a dime. So, for example, of course, I'm looking at their Argentina. <laughs> if if we could get to a final between Argentina and Morocco, who knows? Who, well, it's not beyond the realms of um, possibility now, is it, really? And, um, yeah, we had a game and a half on our hands in the second half. And Morocco, well, they only they had a couple of chances that they gave up. Say, for example, the Ronaldo goal or chance at goal in 2012. He finishes that into the bottom corner without a shadow of a doubt. It's a long ball, through ball on the ground. Ronaldo hits it first time. He had to. And... Keeper saves it. Brilliant save from the keeper. And he, to be fair, João Felix, he produced an absolutely stunning stop. Save the tournament for me so far. Absolutely brilliant stop. Probably about seven or eight minutes from time. 
right behind it from the from the broadcast camera's point of view, and he just about touches it over the bar. It was uh, it was fairly incredible. So Portugal did have their chances. I think they put up uh, more of a fight than Spain, but but even with a red card to Chadira in uh, injury time. Uh, we had Morocco go through as the first Arabic semi-finalist as well, first first African semi-finalist as well in World Cup history. And really something in, I think it was 96th, 97th minute that just encapsulated Morocco's World Cup. Sofian Amrabat gets it by his own corner flag. He beats two or three players and then plays a pass out. And it was just that probably about 30 yards of dribbling, Five seconds that just absolutely summed that man's World Cup up, summed Morocco's World Cup up. And if he doesn't win or get close to winning the Golden Ball, well, obviously they'll probably give it to Lionel Messi. It's FIFA that they want to please sponsors and be sort of a facing like that. But Sofian Amrabat has been utterly, utterly incredible, impeccable, regardless of what happens in the semi final third place playoff or final, depending on which route they go down. He is well up there. And if he doesn't get into the team of the year, we can all just stop playing football, stop watching football, stop following the World Cup because he has been that shadowed out. The best midfielder, probably in my opinion, is right up there for best player as well. Of course, you can't really, you can't really compare players by position, but he has been properly up there in terms of the best players at this World Cup. And of course, that is all we've got time for in terms of the results. We have got one preview, just the one preview. Yes, we're into that territory now. We have got two rest days ahead of us where we'll come back at you with some more World Cup rewinds. But of course, we've got to, we have to preview the first semi-final that we know. Well, you know both semi-finals. I don't at this minute, but we know one semi-final, Argentina versus Croatia. And it's coming at you after this short break. Welcome back. So we've got third and final part. We'll keep it nice and brief. Uh, we've got Argentina versus Croatia. We were all yearning, weren't we, for an Argentina-Brazil semi-final. It wasn't to be because of that man, Croatia, and their mission, really, into the knockout phase, at least in the World Cup. They always get to the semi-finals. We should know this by now. And, of course, they always do it with the full allotted 120 minutes. Could it be so again? Who knows? And certainly in World Cup history, they're tied at one win apiece, of course. 1998 World Cup, uh, baptism of fire at first for Croatia, but they got to the semi-final further than Argentina did, of course, uh, where they fell to the Dutch in the quarterfinals, obviously. Um, and history tells us that if Argentina would have won that quarterfinal, they would have, of course, uh, met Brazil, funnily enough. Argentina do not lose World Cup semi-finals. They either get dumped out early at the quarterfinals, as we've seen plenty of times um, in recent history, so 2006, 2010, just to name a couple, or they get to the semi-finals and they get all the way. So penalties in 1990 against Italy, penalties against the Netherlands in uh, in 2014, and therefore the final and their final records. 50-50, um, I'm pretty sure it is anyway, 1930, you got 1990, 2014 as well, so it's probably, probably a little shade under um, 50%, but Argentina, they just do not lose World Cup semi-finalists, and of course you've got that omen that the last time they lost the opener, 1990 against Cameroon, they went on to the final, of course lost that to West Germany, so good omen for the other half of the draw, maybe, who knows. So where once in the quarterfinals, the omens were all in Croatia's favour, maybe they are stacked against them. But Croatia do go into this 
off the back of a win against Brazil, the favourites, of course, and off the back of, in terms of their last competitive match with Argentina, I'm pretty sure their last match with Argentina, full stop, 3-0 in the group stages in 2018. Of course, the main cast are mainly still there. You're missing a Mandzukic, you're missing a Rebic, you're missing a Rakitic, of course. And uh, But apart from that, Croatia is still the same team. Um, they will fight forever, it seems. And Argentina, whilst they are at the semi-final stage... I don't think they've got to the point where they've played as well as they could possibly do. Yes, they've they've constantly, perpetually been changing their lineup to suit what they need. I think we'll get a reversion back to the 4-3-3 in this game because we'll simply put Croatia play that and Argentina have played it all the way up until the quarterfinals where they went toe-to-toe with the Dutch and tactically outdid them. Uh, only it was when Louis van Gaal threw a curveball in there and deployed some very untraditional Dutch football that uh, they squeaked a draw out of it and forced the penalty shootout. It is very too close to call, pointless to call, you may say, after some results in the uh, last few games of this competition. So um, the, the, the question will persist. Are Croatia tired? They are absolutely not tired. They will go 120 minutes again. I can almost guarantee it. Eight of the last nine games in tournaments have gone to extra time. You can probably... Even with Messi, with or without Messi, this game will go to extra time. That's almost one of the guarantees that you can probably give it. Although you do th- you do have a little sense now that Messi's name is written on the trophy. You have got Brazil being swept out of the way before they could meet them. Likes of uh, Spain falling, Germany falling, Belgium falling, and uh, other favourites falling as well. Portugal maybe. So we don't. We're not going to get that Ronaldo Messi final. That, um, would have broken social media. Thankfully, thankfully we won't get that. Maybe we won't see either of them in the final. Again, that is well up for debate. I'm not even going to put, I mean, it's pointless predicting anything now. Um, but Argentina versus Morocco final, Croatia versus Morocco final, two Group F colleagues would be um, would be a turn up for the books. I don't know who had that on their little um, outright <laughs> bet, but uh, I'm going to say guess that nobody... Um, well, at least not from outside Croatia or Morocco anyway. But it's all set to be, uh, well, an incredible, incredible week of football again. Only two games, well, four, I guess, with a third place playoff and the final, but two enormous, absolutely enormous semi-finals. And until then, thank you very much for listening, for watching and following us all the way through this World Cup journey. Until next time, where I've got a couple of rewinds for you. Silly. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.